You're listening to The Nerve, an English at WIT podcast. In this episode, we celebrate English and Theatre Studies Day, which takes place once a semester at WIT and aims to bring students and staff together to delve into some aspect of literature or theatre work. For this semester's event, we were delighted to be joined by theatre maker Deirdre Dwyer, who specialises in designing and writing plays especially for children, but also works on costuming and designing for films. Deirdre is a theatre artist in residence at Garter Lane Arts Centre, and her latest project is The Little Robber Girl, an audio drama with an accompanying pack of cards that gets posted to you to enjoy while you listen. The pack is available through the website of Garter Lane Arts Centre until the end of October. Also joining us today was Nick Cavanagh, an actor, director, street performer and a voice artist on this production. Welcome to the nerve, you two. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for such a brilliant English and Theatre Studies Day that we had this morning. So we had a fantastic talk where Una Keeley interviewed the two of you. And then we had two workshops and students were able to choose which one they wanted to go to, a writing workshop and a, a vocal performance works, workshop. So we're going to talk about that first, maybe. Um, talk to me a little bit, Deirdre, about the way that the morning went for you. Was it nice to talk about The Little Robber Girl and all of the work that you've put into it over the last few months? Absolutely. Um, a joy to come and meet with students in WIT as well. So having relocated back to Waterford, there was no drama and theatre studies course when I when I was 18. Um, so the option, the fact that that option is in Waterford is thrilling. So to get to engage with those students is brilliant. And to go to talk about a process that is not linear, not straightforward, um, that is collaborative to, to talk about a product and process like that was a real joy. So it was great. Great. Did you enjoy it too, Nick? Absolutely. I think the, it's a joy to get to share the work that we've been doing. Uh, we're very proud of The Little Robber Girl. Um, I'm very proud of previous uh, radio dramas and, and audio dramas that we've worked on. So it's nice to be able to share the, the behind the scenes uh, with people. And also, um, as we articulate what we've done, we kind of, we hear it out loud for ourselves and we realise that we've achieved what we've achieved. And it's, it's nice to kind of, to be kind to ourselves in that way after coming out of a, a pandemic to be able to create work again and to get it out there and to share it with real people. Yeah, and to be able to see um, people opening the envelopes. So that's what we did. We shared the packs um, with them, which is the illustrated pack. So to get that little excitement and joy when somebody is opening the physical pack that will come in through their envelope, to get to see that en masse is a, was a thrilling experience. And to feel to feel the immediate buzz of excitement in the room when you're encountering something that has been curated just for you, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So it's important to say just for the listeners that it's not just an audio drama. It's a whole experience, isn't it? And so when you when you pay your 15 euros for your family pack and I did and I and we got this lovely um, envelope that came and my, my children were like is that your writing on the envelope which I don't know why they thought that it was a bit strange and then they took out these four beautiful envelopes from inside and a little kind of um, a little bit about the play the well the audio drama I should call it shouldn't I um, and also a little bit about all the voice artists on it as well which they loved reading by the way um, so they get to open one of the envelopes with each episode and that's 
a real thrill in itself. So for us this morning, you know, I had already seen them, but a lot of people in the audience hadn't seen them. And as you say, we all got to open them and take pictures of people opening them. And it was like a bit of an ooh, ah kind of moment. So that must have been nice to see that because you don't get to see it, I guess, most of the time. No, and it is really interesting um, with this project. The closest I get to the audience is looking at the YouTube numbers um, and occasionally the feedback. The um, I've got a form on my website for people who have enjoyed it or not uh, to comment on it. And so those little bits of feedback is as close as you get to being in the back of the auditorium watching a school group engage with a piece of work that you've made. So that is really, um, I, I will confess to obsessively looking at the YouTube um, the YouTube views going, oh, OK, 42 people have watched it now. Great. Uh, and um, so, so that's as close as you can get. So the actual physical in the room is unbeatable in many ways. Yes, that's, it's lovely, isn't it? And it's also, it's just lovely to think of kids tuning in and, you know, you might have in our house, for example, so this will make you feel even better. We have maybe one YouTube view, but there are four children and two adults listening. So it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't represent the number of people who are listening at any one time, I suppose. Um, I was really interested as well, you know, I think it's really nice. And one of the bits of feedback that I got from one of our students this morning was, this is so inspirational. It's great to feel as though we can make our own work. And and, you know, it, it, I think it was great for students to be in the audience and they can write, they can perform, they can they can do something like an audio drama that that is actually achievable. And I think that was lovely for them. Um, what, what you're really interested as well in is is making um, work for children. So how did you get interested in that, Deirdre? Um, I work being inspired by the work of companies like graffiti. So training in UCC, doing my degree there and interacting with graffiti and seeing some of their work and realising that theatre can also be narrative. It doesn't have to be postmodernist. It doesn't have to be um, reinventing the form. It can also be truthful and presentational and emotional. So that was like, oh, OK, this is stuff that I'm interested in. And children can receive that. That is in no way to to undermine the beautiful work that can be created in all of those under genres. But for me, story is a really driving force and communicating story. And somehow in the theatre for young audiences kind of landscape, that's very much allowed. And that's not. Whereas in other theatre landscapes, it's possibly seen as a little bit unimaginative or like not 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 ploughing forward. So it, it was um connection to story and the and also then the audiences. Like children will tell you if it's bad. So real theatre audiences, adult theatre audiences, children are real too. Adult theatre audiences um will feel something and talk about it with their peers and then nod and smile um and maybe not come back to your show again. Whereas children will start booing or saying, I don't believe it or that's not true. So the immediate feedback is really honest and refreshing. So you're always on your toes and always been given really great direct feedback. And the third part is that the Theatre for Young Audiences community in Ireland and internationally is like a joyful place to work. So you find people who are interested in the similar things that you are. There's much less pretension and there's a huge amount of kindness in that sphere. So people are interested in the work that you make, interested in seeing that feedback and communicating it to, to children and interested in talking and engaging with that. So like it's a it's a joyful sphere of the theatre world to be working in. Yes, actually, joyful was another word that a student used to describe this morning, which is just lovely. And Nick, you're you're practically a celebrity in our house because of all of the performances that we go to see you in, in Spree. And, you know, I, I love the fact that, that when you're performing in those kind of environments, 
the children are practically on top of you. You nearly have to kick them back, don't you? Um, but how, you know, you obviously really enjoy that world. I love creating work for family audiences and I like I don't even differentiate anymore. It's for the family and I have a young family now. So I understand really what parents are going out. They want content. They want their children to be entertained. And I, I love creating with Deirdre and Broken Crow the audio dramas, but also with my own company, Curious State, creating street theatre productions and also with Spree, that for me, it's about a whole family being able to engage in a drama, whether it's outside, in your ears, in front of you on a screen, in front of you live in a theatre. And I get a real buzz, uh, like Deirdre, because with uh, Theatre for Young Audiences, we get to we got to play more. The costumes are more exciting. The characters are, are more fun to play. Uh, the world is just more interesting to be in. So that's why I, I'm drawn to it. So when Broken Crow and Deirdre call me, I'm there. When Monkey Shine, who are based in Callan, are creating a new show, I'm there. And when I get a funding from the Arts Council to create a new work, I am joyous because I know that it's going to be a fun experience. It's not... It's not like being a jobbing actor where you're you're kind of at the beck and call of someone else's creativity. With this type of work, you really, you as an artist are incorporated into the process. And that's important for the work that I want to create. So I only collaborate with people who want to collaborate. And I really enjoy that. And actually, it would be worth name checking um, Little Red Kettle uh, here, where we collaborated many moons ago, because again, even from a design perspective, so that was my first access point was as a set and costume designer. You get to inhabit a world that is more magical and mysterious than most kitchen sink dramas. You get to go into the world where there are coloury cats and um flying bats and things like that. That's particularly Little Red Kettle fans. Um, uh, Little Red Kettle uh, kind of worlds. So you've got freedom to both be incredibly imaginative and also communicative. So you don't have to be literal either. Your coloured cats could be made out of pencils and bouncing around the stage and the children will go with you on that journey. Not that adult audiences won't, because I've also found that when you present this work to adult audiences, they're the ones moved to tears and um, engaging with it in a whole different way. So children are accessing it in one way and then their families or teachers or carers are engaging with it in another way. Yeah, absolutely. We're using them as an excuse, really, is what's happening. Um, and you you talked, I, as Una said, this was kind of a fascinating answer to, to one of the questions that came up this morning. But you just talked about the, the genesis of The Little Robber Girl, how it came about and how long it took and everything. And it was just a real eye opener, you know, all of the different stages and how you tend to work back from deadlines. Mm. Tell us a little bit about um, where the idea came from. Yeah, so the we, we think we have a very unusual and difficult to communicate product that is an audio drama with additional uh, illustrated posted pack. So that is not a model that is easy to, to describe or communicate, as you just heard. It's a full-mouthed sentence. Um, but the idea came from the lack of physical contact and um, proximity allowed by the... Um, COVID pandemic. So how can you access children um, and provide them with some kind of an experience that is both physical in their own bodies and homes and also audible? Um, So the storytelling is done through the audio drama and then the additional part that makes them feel that they exist in the world and are connected to it is the physical posted pack. And I was very inspired by um, reading in the stage, Lynn Gardner was talking about her most theatrical moment of the pandemic was a series of epistolary um, 
letters that came in the post, a love story that came in the post. And I went, aha, the post that, and you know, everybody had been talking about how brilliant the post was. And I went, and I love getting post. Who doesn't love getting post? So trying to figure out how an episodic um, story could work that was both physical and um, tangible. So I got gorgeous um voice notes and emails of small children holding the cards while listening to it. So it really does engage you in your physical body. They're hearing something, they're watching something, they're engaging with something and they have something to hold on to. So that felt really important to me. Um, And then in terms of the process, yes, it's always deadline driven. I would never get anything done without a really hard deadline. And um, I, even when I set myself soft deadlines, I end up right backing up against the hard one. So because it's a physical pack, it needed to be printed. And because it's involving um, illustrators and visual artists, they needed to get enough time to work with it. So if one works backwards from the day that you want to post out the packs, you need to give yourself a number of weeks and realise that story needs to be written so that that artist can engage with that chapter and um, really have a creative process of their own. So things get really spread out, unlike the theatre process where you're in the room and you can make those decisions. These things needed to be to be written in advance in order to share them with the with the illustrators. Yeah, so it's like a, just such an act of collaboration, isn't it? This and and Nick, you were talking earlier on about um, the process of recording, and I think the students found that really interesting as well. The way that you recorded the different voices, because you 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 do a couple of the voices in this, isn't that right? Yeah, uh, and I suppose I was just talking about my experience of recording. We're in a lovely studio here with lovely mm. mics and lovely setup, and we've got earphones so we can hear the tone of our voices. But when <laughs> you're starting out recording, you're you're doing everything you can to bear witness to the voices that you're creating. So you're trying to get in the hot press and you're recording voices <laughs> and you're listening to, to yourself back and making sure that the voices are reading through. Uh, and I suppose with Deirdre on this uh, particular radio drama and the one previous, we were recording remotely. So we were in our own houses uh, in a room that was acoustically appropriate. Uh, and we had a microphone that Deirdre provided us with, plugged into our computer, uh, and then we were recording into an internet uh, software program so that the sound was being recorded onto our computer from our microphone. Uh, and then we were also hearing the other voice actors, seeing the other voice actors in, like in, in a Zoom uh, meeting. So it was a strange way of working because sometimes when you're recording audio drama, dramas, you're just in a in a booth and you're speaking to a carpeted wall uh, with the script. Um, but this was joyous because we could see the the whites of the eyes of our fellow creators and see uh, how they were physicalizing the vocal journey they were on and watching them some eating biscuits while they were playing a particular character <laughs> some trying to be an octopus or a seal or myself being a dog uh, in this room and my family bearing witness to that sound outside not knowing what I was doing inside the room so there's this huge journey of creativity happening in different rooms around the city but all then feeding into this beautiful recording of the little robber girl. Yeah. And it just sounds like so much fun. It's, you know, it's like cheating at adulthood, isn't it really? Um, getting getting paid to do something so exciting and, and fun. And just like the, um, the vocal kind of performative workshop that you just did, which I was part of and terrified by, can I just also say, um, but that it was just so much fun. I, you know, afterwards I went, oh, I really enjoyed playtime. That's what that felt like. Yeah. And I suppose for me, I was trying to replicate the fear that you have and the anxiety that you have before a performance uh, audio or live that you don't have all the answers uh, and that's why there's a creative team and and Deirdre's there as the director and as the writer uh, the, the the overseeing creator so there's people there to help you figure out so 
for example, um, you were under pressure this morning in the workshop to figure out certain vocal things that I was giving you tasks for. In the same way, Deirdre's saying, I need you to voice a dog. And I'm kind of going, hmm, did I ever voice a dog before? No, I haven't voiced a dog. And and what accent or dialect will this dog have? And then in the first rehearsal, I'm kind of, I'm not happy. Deirdre's not happy. And we're, you know, we we have mutual respect. So she's not going to go and, what are you doing? She's going to go and, we'll come back to that, Nicholas. Um, That's not quite the dog I envisaged. And I don't think you envisaged either. (laughs) And then I'll go away and go, what is this dog? And then I saw the illustration of the dog, a uh, uh, beautiful kind of almost like a, a pencil sketch or a charcoal sketch. Uh, I went, oh, that's the dog. That's Arthur. OK, now I see it. I see it. I was trying to do something, you know, sometimes I get stuck in the world of uh, Jim Henson and that world. I hear voices from my childhood, from characters that I loved. And sometimes it's hard to divorce those from your own voices that you want to create. Uh, and Deirdre allowed me space and time to do that. As I did in the workshop this morning, allowed you time to panic and and to create something and then to present something, uh, and and to show you that you can actually come through that anxiety uh, creatively and 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 perform something that is for listeners only. But I also think that the radio revolution that is happening at the moment, or at least that's how I'm perceiving it and how I'm experiencing it. Maybe I'm in my own radio bubble, but again, the pandemic really showed us how the radio station that's on in our homes is connecting us all and with the kind of um, we're now watching and and streaming a lot of more content television isn't as central to our lives watching things on screen still is but also the radio became a really important ritual for us in our household when lockdown happened the particular radio stations that you listen to the particular um, the, the, the radio presenters that you develop a relationship with and so having become more audio centered in the past number of years like even prior to the to the to the lockdown um really engaging with that and with with the power of audio it's like going back to an old technology that you realize has still so much to offer Absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, you know, that, that idea of being connected to the person in the radio, God, their voices became so important to us, didn't they? And they like I relied on them to kind of lift me um, sporadically when I was having those low moments. Yeah. Um, we probably need to, to talk about Garter Lane because you're the, the, um, the theatre artist in residence in Garter Lane. So what is that? I mean, some people might not even know that th- that that role exists there. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's really interesting being a theatre artist in residence. So um, residencies are amazing um, ways of rooting and and being supported. So I, w- I had the privilege and the Snow Queen, um, the idea of doing that as an audio drama came from my residency in Mary I. So in Mary Immaculate College in Limerick, where it's which is an education um teaching teachers to be teachers. And it's brilliant uh, that they have an artist in residence. So they have three artists in residence, a music theatre and visual art. And it's really hard to be a theatre artist in residence alone because theatre is such a collaborative process. So I'm looking over to Nick there. And um, you can't make theatre on your own unless you're a writer. So actually that residency forced me and... um, made me become a writer because how else can I communicate when you don't have a budget to have the collaborators in the room all the time you just have to make something so it was that that um idea uh, that 
really pushed me. So I was trying to find something that I could collaborate with students on there, which made me go, okay, well, an audio drama is low impact because students are busy people, whether they're busy in in college or school or whether they're busy doing the supplementary things that they need to to make their lives work. You can't ask too much of them. Uh, So at least in audio drama, we could do a limited amount of rehearsals and then record it and have a product. So I was like, this is ideal. And also collaborating with Ray Burke, who is the station manager in Mary Eye. So Wired. So that was a brilliant possibility. And so again, like as most things in my life, they're going, oh yeah, that's an opportunity. How do you solve that problem? So it's not driven by... um, the idea always, it's driven by the problems that you're trying to overcome have inevitably been the way that I found my way through things. And I think that that's when you're answering questions in design, it's a lot. What are the problems and how do you answer those questions? So then um, getting the opportunity to be resident in Garter Lane, it was to kind of what does what do I want that residency to be about? And so when I'm thinking in kind of what do I want my career to be? What do I had really enjoyed the focus on making work for young audiences in Mary Eye and then the product and process of creating an audio drama. So that was always in the underlying um, in the underlying ether. So I had thought that I would make a play. So I had been so inspired by the Snow Queen and the adaptation of it that I went, let's um, physicalize this. Let's bring collaborators on board. We'll put on a play at Christmas time in Garter Lane won't that be great? I had a limited amount of um, financial support. So the residency isn't a full-time job. It's a it's a, a chunk of money that um, the Arts Centre get that I then administrate. So finding um, projects to support, uh, hopefully providing opportunities for other artists to engage with me and then also some money for me to create work. So the residency in Garter Lane is really brilliant and the relationship with Sheila has been nurturing for me. We, we had an really long conversation on Monday after we launched the Little Robber Girl going what is it that I want to be as an artist so having that focus, having that um, the luxury of somebody who is knowledgeable and um, informed and brilliant and kind investing in you as an artist so that's what I get out of being theatre artist in residence we're hoping that there'll be a third year and then I'll probably be hanging up my residency cloak in Garter Lane and hoping that there'll be other artists will get the opportunity of having that support from a building um, and support from the people in that building like everybody in Garter Lane I have now become a kind of an auxiliary staff member and meeting the box office people who are sending out my packs you know it's really um being an artist can be lonely. Being a theatre artist, you need your collaborators, but being um, a, a, an artist supported by a building, which is um, it's only made up of the people within that building, is really special. So I'm hoping that there might be a third year. We'll find out when the Arts Council funding comes down. Um, and then uh, after that, hopefully somebody else will get the opportunity to be resident in Garter Lane and reap the benefits of that. We'll send them this recording. They, they just won't be able to say no. <laughs> And Nick, I'm sure you feel, you know, similarly about the various different organisations and establishments in Waterford as well in terms of the the support that they provide and the community that is here in Waterford, because it's such a vibrant community, isn't it? Yeah, no, I'm firsthand very lucky as a as an artist with a young company, Curious Date, um, that Spree and both Carter Lane have, have always been there to support the development of work that I'm creating. And also with Spree, they, they've made props and scenery for me. They store uh, my props and scenery and and Mike uh, Leahy, the artistic director, is always there uh, looking out for me uh, aesthetically and creatively. TV Honan is always there trying to help me uh, promote my work in in different platforms uh, uh, nationally and uh, internationally. 
Um, and then Neve, uh, the financial controller, is always looking after me when it comes to the other end of Arts Council funding when you have to report on, on your work. So I've learned a lot from them. And Garter Lane Arts Centre, uh, myself and Ronan Fitzgibbon. Ronan Fitzgibbon is also a Broken Crow uh, Theatre member, uh, co-founder. We run a little room, Theatre Development Centre. Garter Lane give us a lovely Georgian room in the front of 5 O'Connell Street uh, for free all year round. Um, and they provide us with that space heated with some Wi-Fi and we allow artists who create work that is performative in nature to use that space for a month and then at the end of the month they share their findings on this new project that they're working on. Uh, they might even do a play reading, they might do a, a, a performance of their dance piece, um, a, sh a showing of a film that they're working on. And and we've been very lucky that Garter Lane have allowed us to, to have that space in Waterford um, and recently we were able to open it again to the audience to come in at the end of the month. So it's been a long time since we can showcase the work that's happening there. And the Arts Council via Garter Lane, like Deirdre's residency, have allowed each artist to have a stipend of just 400 euro, 100 euro a week that wasn't there before. And that, that 400 euro allows you to buy out some time to be in the space and to create, but also maybe to uh, invite in a fellow artist uh, to come in and to help you or to pay for photocopying, to pay for a piece of equipment that will help you document your work. Um, so we are very lucky here in the region, but also in the city that we have establishments that are willing uh, and always their door is open uh, to listen to the, the up and coming artist, the established artist, uh, the artist who is confused and, and is, is losing their way. To, to support them uh, and to showcase their work in, uh, in many different platforms. So I'm very lucky as an artist uh, and, and very lucky uh, as a creative in Waterford. And I'm sure you both feel that, you know, now it's more important than ever coming out of the pandemic. You know, I mean, I'm sure there, there must be so many um, creative people who have abandoned that line of work because of necessity and they just haven't had a choice but have had to. So it is, it's more important now than ever, isn't it, Deirdre, to have yeah. that support? I mean, the support is, you know, I was talking about I'm talk time and money, <laughs> time and money and joy. Maybe they're the three things that keep me going. Um, but it, any financial support that you can get means it's possible. This is a slightly tangential, but I'm looking forward to the rollout of the artists' um, universal basic income. The, the the if that comes, it's going to be another um, incredibly difficult selection process. If they're hoping to pilot two thousand, how will they choose those two thousand artists? And is that going to become a, a, a difficulty within the industry? But if that were possible, um, and I knew that I had whatever three hundred and eleven euro, I think that's what they're proposing, maybe um, a week, then I could. I could do other things. I wouldn't, um, I would could do creative things that were very much driven by by the love um, rather than the fear. So the fear of not having bread on the table, the fear of not having money for the rent, um, all of those things, uh, I could be mo motivated more by by love and going after something rather than, than running away from something. So yeah, I mean, it's really hard. It has been really hard for performing artists. It's still being really hard for musicians and live musicians. Um, you know, I'm when we're, at time of recording, all of the, the opening up is very um, uncertain. And the I understand completely that, that the government have not been in a position to consider us as the highest priority. And there are other things that are very high priority and need to be done. But it is really frustrating not to be considered as a 
really important part of society. When you think about weddings and um, joyful events in your life, 21sts, Debs's and the live music that happens at that, um, it is really important and it's part of the fabric of our lives. So the idea that we have been not in a position to share that talent is really frustrating. So hopefully things will will shift forward. I do think that artists are incredibly ingenious and have found ways of sharing their art with other people. Uh, so hopefully that will continue. But there have been a lot of despairing. There was a lot of despair at the beginning of the pandemic for many people, for many reasons, and particularly also artists were despairing. I mean, it does not it's not comparable to other people who have suffered, but it is still um, losing your livelihood. So it's just tough times. And hopefully that the Arts Council have rallied and the, the financial support has been good. But then that's not easy for everybody to access. And it's not easy for people who don't consider themselves full time artists or don't consider themselves worthy or don't consider themselves good application putter inners. They might be brilliant artists, but not so good at putting an application. So that's really challenging. And it's a really challenging part of being an artist in Ireland. And I, and I think it's it's so important to remember all of the things that we turned to during the pandemic. We turned to music and we turned mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the productions that were made available on the National Theatre, from the National Theatre, or we turned to the Abbey or we turned to books and we turned to poetry. These are the things that we went to and that is the world that we need to preserve. I mean, I th- you know, we can't forget that too quickly. No. Um, I'm just thinking of, um, yeah, what... what art or creativity or an artist offer us uh, and me also just because I'm an artist doesn't mean that I need artists in my life um, and Paddy Maloney the musician uh, who, who died last week um, there, there's a picture being circulated of him uh, in 9-11 at Ground Zero playing his whistle and just almost uh, as an artist helping us understand the grief that happened in that place um, so it's not always about celebrating the fun and the good. It also it's us helping us artists help us understand trauma, understand the world we're living in in a daily. You know, we're, we've just come out of a pandemic, and we did turn to music, and we did turn to to, to dramas to to kind of suspend disbelief and to kind of take ourselves out of the the mundane to listen to radio while we're ironing or putting stuff in the dishwasher or or preparing dinner. That it, it's those people that allow us to kind of to dream. And to think other than the deadlines and and the work schedules that we have, because we are living beings that need need love and creativity also. So uh, I'm continue. I turn to artists all the time to help me through through the week. And for children to access the arts as well. And so um, I'm thinking about that and thinking about the characters that are in The Little Robber Girl and their ambiguities and their difficulties. So uh, I want to be really clear about making work for children does not mean you are making more simple work. You're just presenting to people who are just as complex and who are really learning the world as they go. So Matty is a complicated character. I mean, morally, um, she's pretty ambiguous. She's a thief. That's what she does. We all know stealing is wrong, but yet Matty does not think that that necessarily is the case. So it's, you know, you just get to look at things um, from a really specific perspective and you have to be aware that you are presenting them to people who may have not had these thoughts before, which is the same in any art form. Um, you can't uh, prejudge your audience. So, But I think that there are many people who are really trying to process for children and find ways of providing children with artworks that can help them process the magnitude of the experience that they have just gone through. Um, and I'm particularly thinking about young people who, um, the older young people who have been, who have really been robbed of two years of their lives and two really formative, brilliant years of their lives. Um, they still have had it and they will experience their lives in different ways, but finding ways to 
present that work back or allow them to find ways to express all of that will be really important, I think, um, in their considering of the world and thinking about how we deal with what we are feeling. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end because actually the one of the, the words that was also used this morning was hopeful. That one of the students said, I feel so hopeful. And I just thought that was lovely because they are the very people that you're talking about. And it's lovely for them to come to an event like this and to come away with that feeling, to feel like, OK, art is something that is possible for me. I can invest myself and I can produce something and that makes me feel amazing. Um, so I just want to thank the two of you so much for um, facilitating our English and Theatre Studies Day. It's it's such a, an important event for us as staff and it is so important for our students. The students who come really um, feedback to us on, on how much they gain from it every semester. So thanks so much for joining me as well because I know Deirdre is rushing off now to <laughs> deliver a class and Nick is on the road to Cork. So you're <laughs> <laughs> so good to squeeze this in as well. Thanks so much, guys. Not at all. A real pleasure. Thank you for having us. And it was a pleasure to meet the students of WIT. And I look forward to meeting them again. Definitely. Yes, I've had a lovely time also. And it's nice to be on this on-campus uh, radio studio yeah. or sound studio. I've ne- I've heard many episodes of The Nerve. It's now I'm in the nerve. It's nice in here. <laughs> Thank you. You may never leave. Thanks a million. <laughs> Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.